you know, now I know why I say you need many moments of momentum. I, I never, it never dawned on me why I say you need many moments of momentum. I'm saying that because what you just said there, progress equals belief. The issue is, for me, I think too many people define progress too big for themselves. Absolutely. And they, they, they devalue the small bits and pieces of progress, which is why I try to have, a, you know, I came up with a, with a formula and a system. Like, like I, I wasn't really good. Like, like the real way to do this system is that every night before you go to bed, you, you say to yourself, what was a win for me today? Like, that's a really great practice. I haven't committed to that daily yet. What, I've do, what I do is something that was called the three wins. The three wins was my once a week Sunday routine that I would do with my family members or my friends. I get on the phone or I get in text chat or I get on a Zoom call and I'd be like, all right, everybody, what were your three wins for the week? I love it. And we would literally go through and mention our three wins and they can be small. These aren't like, you know, I ran a marathon. These are, you know, I, I put on my jogging clothes and actually jog consistently for three days straight this week. You're listening to The Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, and I've dedicated my entire life to helping people win. Win in their careers, win in their businesses, and win in their lives. This podcast is going to help you get on your grind and hustle to create the life that you love and walk in gratitude along the journey. Each episode, I'll teach you tools and tactics and bring you conversations with experts that will help you turn your passion into a thriving online business. Life isn't about wishing for something greater. It's about making it happen. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. All right. Welcome to the Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, also known as Coach Stone. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you've been listening for a while, then you know I got a lot of love for you. And uh, today we have a very special guest on the show. Um, I call him, I can't even tell you what I call him yet. I have to introduce him first before I give you my nickname for this guy. But he is a two-time Emmy Award winner, lifestyle entrepreneur, creator, motivational speaker with uh, Damon John Shark Club, Shark Group. Uh, his mission is to provide advice and tools to help you hustle mindfully to pursue your passions. And I love that because you know I'm all about giving you tools and resources to help you sort of level up your life and your business. He's also the creator and host of the Never Settle Show. The critically acclaimed production has been recognized with an Emmy uh, for Best Interactivity uh, and an Emmy nomination for the Best Program Host. He's a, he's a Dig a Day Publishing Award nomin nomination for Best Use of Facebook Live. Uh, a Webby Honoree Award for Social Experiment, Experimental in, and Innovation, uh, an award winner for Best Live Show from the International Academy of the Web Television Awards. And I call him Marathon Mario <laughs> because he's <laughs> everywhere all the time. But uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Mario Armstrong. Hey, man, Coach, it's good to be here with you. I'm, it's, uh, I'm hon honored and humbled to be on the show with you. And ever since you reached out, I was like, oh, man, it's going to be one of those exciting interviews. I could already feel your energy. I already got that sensibility from you. Plus, you came in from a mutual friend with Dr. Vibe. So I was I was pumped. I was excited. I was like, I'm ready to really do this and try to empower people. I'm excited, too, man. Um, I'm excited because I've been watching you probably over the last, you know, year, six, six months to a year. 
And I see that you're out here passionately giving your time and your energy. You know, I see you on this new app called Clubhouse. I see you on Instagram. Why are you so passionate about helping people kind of turn, find their passion and, and really live that out loud? Uh, because people need to win more. People are people are struggling to get their ideas, to get their passion. They they give up on themselves too easily because maybe they haven't had a good upbringing. Maybe they haven't had exposure. Many of us don't have the resources, the money, the partnerships, the networks, and the mentorship to be able to help us. And so a lot of us are just figuring this out as we go along. And I just feel like if I have any wins in my life whatsoever, it's my duty to be able to try to share those wins with other people and, and also on the failures. And in fact, it's really important. That's why I get super transparent. And I say vulnerability is the new currency. And I keep repeating that over and over because vulner being vulnerable and showing up to be courageous about what you haven't accomplished or what you're struggling with lets other people know that they're not on the island by themselves, that they're not solo trying to figure out the same thing, that if someone that they look to, that they may see as someone that's successful is willing to kind of go there with the with the transparency, it lets them know, like we celebrate the prize over the process so much in our culture. And I get it, but it's how we've been ingrained to think about the win that it it, it ends with the destination. And, and that's fine to have a desire and to have a destination that you're shooting for and an impact or a thing you want to achieve, but it's not fine if we don't understand how to find happiness and fulfillment within the journey. And I spent a lot of my years and quite honestly, here's a piece of being vulnerable. I still fight with this. I still have, have to deal with the fact that there are moments that pop up where I think I should be further along than where I am. And I don't like it. I don't, I'm tired. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of trying to fight that feeling. And so I have these systems now that remind me gratitude. They remind me of what, what, who's with me, who's still alive, who's around. Do we have our health, the basic essentials? And then you can start thinking about, you know, I'm grateful for the path. I'm grateful for the things we have. I mean, for crying out loud, we got two Emmys. Like most people <laughs> that may even have Amazing. an Emmy that's like on their, on their agenda, they haven't even hit that yet. So how dare me be complaining about, where I want to go when I've already achieved some certain things, but we've gone through dramatic failures and a lot of learning by being broke in the process, going into business with my wife. So there's a lot of things that have really helped to shape me to really push me to want to help people win. Mm -hmm. Like to your question, that's what it is. It's not any one thing. It's all of it. It's I'm tired of people of color not getting access. I'm tired of people that have great visions not being able to get access to a roadmap because somebody is being selfish with sharing because they see the pie too small and don't mm -hmm. realize that there's a global opportunity for everybody to prosper. So I'm just tired of it. So I'm like, I'm kind of like that revolutionary in terms of helping us fight for our passions because I'm tired of the system working against people. And, I, and I've been able to find some ways to leverage it to work for you. And so I feel compelled whenever I can to try to share that type of advice or information or wisdom to help other people get some of that opportunity, but also some of that uh, relaxed uh, feeling of letting angst go, letting stress go, and trying to get people to be like, oh, so it is supposed to be this difficult. Okay. So it is supposed, oh, right. okay. So Ariel said like, you know, do these breathing techniques, try this uh, methodology, try this formula. And so that's why I push because 
every last one of us are spending disservice to me and everybody else if you don't push on that thing. So if I can do something to help you win more by pushing on that thing, I feel like I've depleted myself and given this life form the best I could. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said too, you know, the process uh, over the prize. And do you think now, do you think now people are more open to um, sharing their vulnerabilities more so than ever before? Or or do you think that it's still a fight? Oh, that's a beautiful, that's a great question. I mean, look, if you aren't wrecking the global reset of the pandemic was the best opportunity for people to self-assess and reassess where they are in their life. And the reason why is because everyone, for the first time in my history on this, on earth, everyone was at the same level. You were shut down. You could not go anywhere. There was nothing you could do about it. For the first time, the, the, the idea of you having control was out the window. And the, and the thing is we've never had control all along. It's an illusion that we have control. I agree. So, the illusion was now it's like the matrix. It was like, now we're outside of the program and we're really in the real world. And we're like, Oh man, we can't go anywhere unless we really want to risk being sick or, or, or unhealthy or, or dead. And so at that moment, people had to deal with their thoughts because now you had more time than ever. You didn't have the distractions of hopping in the train, catching that car ride, going to commuting to work, yelling at somebody in the grocery store. Like you didn't have time for any of those types of distractions. So now you were with your own thoughts. And this is why you found people making changes in their relationships. You found people not wanting to go back to the jobs that they were at because everybody was finally at a global pause. And if you're mindful in the global pause, you don't push for like, I hope things just get back to normal so we can just get you first and foremost go, how do do I and my family stay safe, self-preservation? And then you should be saying, how do I use this time since I'm paused by no choice of my own? to benefit myself and my outcomes and my legacy and my commitment and the impact I want to have. And so I think to answer your question, I think this was the moment for those, for those that may still be catching on, but at the beginning of 2020, when this was going down, that was the moment to really do that assessment. And I think vulnerability started to play in because everybody could stop with the facade because everybody was at the same level now. And so I think, um, I think it's gotten easier. And I think as more and more people that, are seen as successful come forward with more of their vulnerability, it helps other people relate and start to feel like they can do it themselves. Absolutely. The, the, the misconception with being vulnerable is you, if you end up sharing, if you end up sharing, you might be oversharing. And by sharing too much, you you're downplaying your value or you look small. And the misconception is the, the absolute opposite actually happens. When you actually decide to be courageous and talk about the thing that you're scared to talk about, you end up finding that there are other people that are just as afraid that aren't willing to say anything. But since you did, now they come to you and they're telling you on text, they're calling you on the phone, they're sending you an email. Oh my God, that moved me so much. Me too. I thought I was the only one, but they just weren't willing to say it. So your stock your value, your personal brand, your energy actually goes up when you Absolutely. start to reveal. And it's a superpower. The very thing that most of us ever got bullied on or got picked on or the thing that we're running from is usually the very thing that could end up being our unique superpower. 
Yeah, man, that's so great. I, I, I agree. You know, during uh, last year, I decided that I wanted to help more. And literally the day after the pandemic, I started going live on Instagram and Facebook, just yep. teaching, teaching mindset, habits, how to start a side hustle. I did 160 one hour, one to two hour sessions Jeez. Uh, since March. And Jeez. just opening up and people were just like, yeah, me too. You know, and, 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 and that opened up the conversations. So during the pause, by the way, is that a, that a, I'm sorry, but your watch, is that a wooden watch? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is that, is that from we would? No, it's not. It's a different it's one. Not? Bro. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> you got a wood watch too. It's a wooden See, watch. I knew I liked you. On, I knew man. I liked you. Hold on, man. Come on now. Like, like, bro. Bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is from Hey, Hey, Cool Watch right here. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Mine's from We Would, man. That's great, man. See, of we, course. We're, of course. We're, we're vibing. We're vibing. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 Mario, you talked about the pause, right? What did you learn from the pause last year? What did you learn about yourself from that pause last year? Um, Man, I learned, I learned, you know, it's interesting. This, this may come off a little bit. I don't want this to come off the wrong way. I learned that I was on the right path. I learned. And the reason why I can say that, and, and it's confidence, not conceitedness. The reason why I can say that is because I had already been working on my mind. I had already been working on mindfulness. I had already been working on me being a better human. I already know what my flaws are and I'm continuing to be flawed. Nobody's perfect. We're always going to evolve and try to be better. Um, but when that hit, it became so like, it was actually bothersome in a way, man, because what happened was since my self-awareness was so high, I could see how much, how many other people's self-awareness was so low. And that really kind of messed me up because I almost didn't want to see how low, like what I mean is how unaware people really were how unaware of not just the messaging and how to be a safe human going outside and whether or not you believed in the science, not believed in the science, like all these things just kind of showed like, well, wait, are you thinking about other people or are you only thinking about yourself? Mm. And what I found was I was really just like people that I, you know, were close, you know, family and friends that are close. And they would say things like that, what they're going to go do and who they're doing it with. And, you know, three weeks later, you know, the whole family's got the virus and it's like horrible. And, you know, and it's, and I just, I, I really was, I felt like, oh man, I learned a lot about myself in that the work that I have been doing beforehand is actually working because my self-awareness is higher. doesn't mean I'm a better individual. Don't get yeah. that confused. It just means I worked a lot of time to really meditate and study and practice and do rituals and consistency. And that gives you a, a, a higher vibration in yourself, a subconscious to be able to be more alert. You know, your brain neurologically, the neuroscience of the brain is wired intrinsically to protect you from anything that could harm you. Yeah. Like the brain doesn't know um, when, when you feel what we call nervous. And I put that in quotes, because really what you're feeling is just energy. 
And we've now given that word, we've given that particular energy a word. And that word is a negative word, which is nervousness. But if I told you to switch that word and say, instead of saying, I'm nervous going to speak on that stage, say, I'm energized to go and speak on that stage. You feel a completely different, your physiology changes, your chest changes, your breathing changes. You feel completely different just by saying, I'm energized to ask this question, not I'm nervous to ask. When you even say I'm nervous, you're going to get sheepish. You're going to shrink. And so when you energize, you want to grow and you want to expand. And what I found through that moment was like, oh, I have been working so much on me that I, that I realized I have expanded. What that then taught me was, oh crap, I got a lot more work to do. Not (laughs) that I'm special, but just that I need to, just that I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people that still could use some guidance if they want it. Right. Cause it's all about if they want it. Um, and if, and if they do, how can I be of help? And so like you, that's when I started going hard on IG lives as well. Like, Hey, here's how you can use this time to be productive. Remember all that stuff that you said that you wanted to do, never had time to do. Now's your time to dedicate a couple hours a day to that thing. So if you didn't come out of this with a book, if you didn't come out of this with learning some new skill set that would get you ready for uh, your career, if you didn't come out of this thinking about how you could operate in a virtual and physical world, like you kind of missed some of the opportunity when there was this downtime that we all had together. And that's that's some of what I think I learned from it. No, that's so great. And I think uh, I'm with you. I'm on the same kind of frequency. You know, I've been doing a lot of um, inner work and so on for years. And, and I agree with that. And I also agree that words have power and we have to be selective about the words that we choose to use. And (laughs) I like the fact that you say energy and not nervousness. I I really like that. You know, Mariel, talk talk a little bit about the Never Settle show, because I think that it's amazing that you've been able to take this show and really just put it out there to the world. And and it's been Mm -hmm. so well received because you don't see a lot of, you don't see any of this. You don't see a show that is empowers people to kind of live live within their potential and experience their potential yeah get the recognition and be widely accepted talk, talk a little bit about how it started and and, and and how it kind of got to where it is because it's 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 massive it, it's it's a great story man and i appreciate you actually sharing it and it's still kind of it still tickles me to this day to like where we are and i think the underlying message that I would want people to feel in this answer, and I'm going to say it before I even get to the answer, is that you need to just start and you need to stop worrying about perfection because perfection doesn't exist. And being since we weren't perfect and since we did launch with the best at what we could do with what we had, we then ended up getting phone calls, getting messages, and ultimately winning an Emmy and then ultimately being able to being nominated for two winning one and ultimately um, being in a studio that I would have never thought that we would be able to be in just because there's no possible way to afford the kind of studio that we're in, in the middle of Times Square, right next door to Good Morning America with ginormous windows where people in Times Square can look in and watch my show with 70 people in the studio audience. And I can look out and see through the glass Times Square and all the activity, but behind me is like a 70 foot wall of nothing but massive screen. It's just, I got seven cameras, a crew of 30 people. Like I just never would imagine um, having a control room and writers and all of that stuff like that just going on. But if I take you back to the very beginning, which would be three years ago, and then before the first episode three years ago, 
two years prior to that, when the idea first was hatched. And if I then say two years before that, when other pilots were being put prepared and made and weren't getting anywhere to then realize, okay, for two years, we've been trying to get these ideas going. No one's getting it. And then we have this other moment where we come up with this other idea and then we start. And so I'm going back now already seven years. So, you know, <laughs> it's, there's nothing that's overnight. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> I was just going to say way. overnight success. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. But what does, what, what will stop you from being noticed and what will stop you from, from looking like it's overnight is if you wait and wait and wait because you're waiting on it to be perfect. So first season, we got a, uh, a lobby of a tech company. I couldn't afford the studios. The studios cost $300,000 if we really wanted to do it right. This was a live, this was a big, a big production. This big wasn't like a money. YouTube show. Yeah, this was like a live studio audience. I got real guests coming in. Um, I got uh, cameras. It's interactive online, so you can interact in, in real time. I got a pr production team, a crew. Like It's a real all-out show production, and we were trying to do it very, very inexpensively. So when we found out what the pricing was to really rent a studio, we had to get creative. And so I ended up calling some companies and said, hey, if we use your lobby for this show, because they have big lobbies in some of these companies, I said, you know, we'll do it at the end of the workday. And we'll be, we'll, we'll come in at like four o'clock in the afternoon, set up the show, do the show at 7 PM and then close down, do the show from seven to eight. And then we'll close the show down and be out of your office by 10 o'clock at night. So from four to 10, once a week for the next eight weeks, can we use your lobby for Wednesday nights? And in exchange, we will mention your product that you sell to consumers in the show. So oh, that's genius. called a barter. Genius. So that was the way for me to pay with whatever value I could convince them on that I had, that I would mention their product as a form of payment. And it worked. And we were in a, a, you know, a wooden floor. It had beams coming down. And we had these screens that we had on wheels. And we had those, those hard metal tin chairs, which hurt people's butts and all that stuff. And, but we had a red carpet that when you got off the elevator, we like had a red carpet and then we had like signage so people could take their photos and we had a little photo booth. So we were like creating a vibe and an energy that was all about celebrating the people more than it was about celebrating the host and its guests. Yeah. And that kind of energy is why a lot of people ended up starting to tune in because they could feel that the people behind it actually cared about the people that were watching it and included them in the process. And so from that, we ended up doing six little episodes, two little rehearsals. And we, at the end of that season, we did not know what we were going to go do. We had a lot of views on Facebook, but we had no plans. In fact, we were so depleted. We took that, we were financially okay enough that we ended up taking that summer off for some work, but we had also kind of depleted our, some of our credit card debt got put into the show as well as uh, getting a big sponsor to pick up about 70% of the cost, but we had to eat the other 30%. Wow. And so while we were on that summer, I get a phone call. Cause we didn't know what we were going to do. Everyone's asking us when season two, when right. season two. Yeah. I don't know. We get a phone. I don't know. Are you kidding me? I just packed up a U-Haul truck <laughs> in New York after having an amazing show, drove that U-Haul truck from New York city down I-95 South to Baltimore, Maryland to put it into a storage unit near my parents. Cause I didn't know what we were going to do with all this stuff that we had from the show. And, and, I, and I'm loading the truck. Like this is the non glamor stuff. 
That's right. Nobody wants to talk about this part of the process. Like, we just had a killer show that changed lives, and I'm packing up the U-Haul truck and now driving that daggone hoopty from New York to, to, to Baltimore. And then and taking the stuff out, putting it in. What, what were you thinking though? When you were driving back, like you just said, we had this killer show. Uh, you're on this high, and then next thing you know, you're driving this truck to to Baltimore. Like, what was going through your mind at that time? Uh, take pictures because I'm never doing this again. That okay. was my first. My first thought was take pictures of me loading this truck of of Nicole CEO Nicole sitting beside me in the passenger seat. Let's capture this moment because mm. a, it's just hilarious. That that this is how this is how this is how committed we are to like doing this thing, and this is how it really is when yeah. you start. And I wanted to document that, and and then I said because, and I don't know where this came from, right? But I'm just I like to throw out affirmations because the next time we're not going to have to do this. Mm. That's what I said. I just said the next time, and and it, maybe that just meant I was going to have to pay people to do it. I just knew I didn't feel like carrying 30 boxes <laughs> into the UPS truck, because I, into the U-Haul truck, because I would just feel like we haven't made any progress. <laughs> right, right. So I was determined to try to figure out how to make progress. And that was one of my milestones of, of an indicator as to, oh, we made progress because I'm not loading up the, U, the U-Haul truck. But on that ride back, it was just kind of surreal, man. Like just driving that U-Haul truck three and a half hours. And, um, I mean, we just talked about the show. We talked about how fun it was and the crazy moments, but just how surreal it was that we are literally driving this U-Haul truck back. And there were just some moments where we just got quiet and just thought about it. And then there were moments where we talked about how we were depleted and we didn't know what we were going to do at all for the next season. And then we were like trying to come up with a strategy of like, let's just not talk about work. Let's talk about (laughs) anything else but that. And, you know, what happened is, Late in the summer, I got a phone call to wrap this part of the story. Late in the summer, I got a phone call and it's someone who knew me from when I did stuff back at CNN, but now they were in New York and they were doing stuff with Facebook and Facebook Live was now really starting to take off. And they said, we're producing shows out of the studio and we saw what you were doing. What are your plans for season two? And I said, you gotta be kidding me. And I said, could it be? that maybe we end up having a production company that's going to pick up the tab to now produce this show in exchange for us being on their platform as content. And sure enough, that's what happened. What I didn't realize is that it was NASDAQ. Like, like there's only two, you got New York Stock Exchange and you got NASDAQ. And NASDAQ is in the epicenter of Times Square (laughs) with a two-story building uh, actually, it's more than that. It actually goes further up. But the two levels where the studios that they had were two stories. And they were just unraveling a new one on the bottom floor that was going to be able to look out into Times Square. CNBC shoots their morning shows from this studio. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. Squawk Box and a couple of other <laughs> shows are shot in the NASDAQ studio that we're being asked to bring our lifestyle entrepreneurial show into. So that's how it happened, my friend. <laughs> and that's why I said, if we would have never launched, she would have never seen. And she saw something in the content and was like, let's bring that over here. She didn't know we didn't have a place to go. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have no home. <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a great message, Mariel. You know, I, I mean, that's a powerful story. Just get started. I, I think I, I've said this many times, but I think one of the biggest 
lies that we've ever been told is that you just got to believe in yourself. And so what oh, happens man. is people, people yeah. ease back and they say, well, I can't start until I fully believe I can do this. Oh, that's good. And, and I say this progress equals belief, like progress equals belief. The more progress that's you make good. on something, the more that you believe it can actually happen. And Ooh. so it, it validates what you said, just get started. Yeah. But I love how you put that into those terms. Cause you're so right. Progress equals belief. Y'all need to sit on that. That's because, you know, now I know why I say you need many moments of momentum. I, I never, it never dawned on me why I say you need many moments of momentum. I'm saying that because what you just said there, progress equals belief. The issue is for me, I think too many people define progress too big for themselves. Absolutely. And they, they, they devalue the small bits and pieces of progress, which is why I try to have, a, you know, I came up with a, with a formula and a system like, like I, I wasn't really good. Like, like the real way to do this system is that every night before you go to bed, you, you say to yourself, what was a win for me today? Like, that's a really great practice. I haven't committed to that daily yet. What I've do, what I do is something that was called the three wins. The three wins was my once a week Sunday routine that I would do with my family members or my friends. I get on the phone or I get in text chat or I get on a zoom call and I'd be like, all right, everybody, what were your three wins for the week? I love it. And we would literally go through and mention our three wins and they can be small. These aren't like, you know, I ran a marathon. These are, you know, I, I put on my jogging clothes and actually jog consistently for three days straight this week. Wow. Okay. I remember last week you couldn't even put on your clothes and get out the door. Like that's a, that's progress, right? So it doesn't matter the size of the, I made, I sent that email that I had been hesitant to send or, or, or my kid did really good in in, in some grades or something like it doesn't matter. The point of the exercise is to get us to think about what we have gained and what we want at, because we already know what we're missing. We are so wired to be focused on what's not done yet, what we haven't achieved, what we, where we aren't in life, that we miss what has moved us forward. And so I love the progress equals belief. And then I would just say, making sure that you all define that word progress as minuscule as possible. <laughs> yes. yes. Because every little moment when you count it as a win gives you energy. Uh, towards the big picture. And when you have the big picture and you can reverse engineer it, when you can see the outcome that you're trying to get, and that's three, three months, six months, a year, three years, when you can see that outcome, when you only vision that outcome, you get overwhelmed. And that's why some of so many of you quit and so many of you don't feel any progress. But when you break down that thing into monthly goals, like, okay, if I need to accomplish that by June, not what do I need to do every day right off the bat? You can't think that way. For me, I can't anyway. I have to say, okay, if I want to be able to accomplish a certain thing by June 1st, what has to happen in May? Well, in May, I better be close. Like I better be at the 90 percentile of whatever it is I need to accomplish to get to June because June's right there. All right. So now I go back from May to April. All right. Well, by May, April, I better be at like 60 percent because I got to be at that 80 to 90 percent come May. And the, so you keep going. So when you do that, then you can start saying, Okay, well, then what needs to happen, not only in the month, here are the big three goals for the month. Then you say, okay, now I need to know what I'm doing each week. If I need to set up a new studio because now we're virtual uh, and the goal is to be ready by June 1st so that I can be ready for the launch date of the new Never Settle show, 
What's the equipment I need to get? What's what's the testing I need to do? Uh, what's the infrastructure? What's 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 uh, the production that needs to happen? And then you start to lay these things out week by week, and then that breaks down to day by day. So literally, this just happened. Like we are reshooting. Uh, we are re. We are launching Never Settle show, season three. Um, and I'm doing it in this COVID environment. It's going to look much like this, but with a bunch of other graphics and some other production that we put into it. I can't wait for the world to see it because it's really going to be cool and exciting. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. It's going to be high energy. It's going to be great, man. I look forward to having you pop on uh, the show as well. And I, I had to change directions from where I thought the part of the house that I was going to use to make the studio. I had to make a complete different change. Had I not planned and reverse engineered it, I would have... I would have missed out on the opportunity of seeing that there was a better solution for me because I would have been just like trying to make something happen that wasn't happening and forcing it and not being open to other suggestions and possibilities. Uh, But because I was open and because I reverse engineered and because now I've made small steps, let me get the right lights. Step number one, let me test the audio. Step number two, like these happen (laughs) on different days, on different weeks. And so you look up and it's six to eight weeks later and you're like, man, the painting's been done. The lighting is right. The camera is good. I mean, what you're seeing right now is actually we're in the 90 percentile. This thing is going to launch in three weeks. So this set that you're seeing is an actual test. So this is the set. And you're, (laughs) you're, you're the first show that I've done with this set, with this equipment in this way. I love it. And the only thing that'll be different is I won't have these white earbuds on and, and this is the test. So like (laughs) I'm at the 90 percentile. So just so you all can see, like every little bit of progress really does give you the belief. Just make sure you break your things down into very small pieces so that every week you feel some type of uh, progress and do the three wins so that you're forcing yourself to remind yourself of what did actually work well that week. I love, I love the three wins. I love the, I think you and I are in sync when it comes to a lot of things, because I often tell people, if you have a a goal, that's a year out, you have to actually act as if you only have 90 days to get it done. Right. Oh, that's good. Because what happens is if you have a goal that's a year, you don't start working on it until you got that's three right. months left, right? <laughs> so, that's so, true. so reverse engineer that goal and say, I only have 90 days. And if you only have 90 days, like you said, each month is a milestone. So what can what do I have to get done this month, month one, month two, month three? And right. then you go week by week and then day by day. Day by so day. I'm exactly hour in sync. by hour, minute by minute. Yeah. I'm 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 exactly in yeah, sync that's with you. Great. So I love that, Mario. Yeah, brother. Like, I love that. That's you, good. You man. you have this, you have this grind and this hustle and this kind of fighting spirit. Where did you get yeah. that? Like what was did you get that from your parents? Or where did you get this kind of passion and this ability just to keep going? Because a lot of people yeah. put themselves out there and then they stumble and then they quit and they never see their goals or dreams through. Where do, where does that come from with you? Where do you get that? Yeah. You know, coach, it's like, um, a good, I mean, definitely from my dad and, and from my mother, but definitely watching my dad as the entrepreneur go after his thing. My mom was a school teacher. So she was a little bit more uh, reserved, uh, in that sense. She wasn't an entrepreneur type, but my dad, he was all about trying to build a, a music production company, and he had two two music groups under him at the time. So he had a production company called Armstrong and Donaldson, and it was in Baltimore. And basically, they were like kind of following the footsteps of, say, like a Barry Gordy and, and Motown, <clears throat> cool. and wanted to kind of create that kind of atmosphere environment for some Baltimore-based groups that they thought could really break through. 
and they did well. They did travel to the world. He got to places like Switzerland and Tokyo and got to travel, but it really never had that U.S. break that he really, really needed in order to really get that thing established. Okay. And ultimately, man, watching him pursue that and as a kid going to the music studio, you know, 10 years old, banging on the drums, um, uh, watching the guys in studio do their thing, drinking, drinking. Uh, they had this, they had this automatic coffee machine that just gave you coffee. And I remember <laughs> my mom just being so upset every Saturday I come back from the studio because I must have been wired. <laughs> my dad's not watching me. He's just like, as long as he's safe, he's good. He, <laughs> he's in the studio listening to the group. And uh, so, man, I mean, I just remember those fond memories. And then I remember also seeing a pink slip on the apartment door. My brother and I shared a two, we, we, the family had a two bedroom apartment, my brother and I shared a bedroom. And I remember seeing that eviction notice and just wondering like, you know, what is that? And having him explain to me what that kind of is and what it meant, but then also to see his mindset that he still was trying to push on the dream at the same time. And as a kid, I never felt poor because the parents do a great job of making you feel like you, you don't know what's going on in their world. But the realization hit like, oh, so we could be out of a, out of a home, out of a place. Like I didn't understand like how that would, would happen. I see you get dressed to go to work every day, but that doesn't mean you're winning every day. Right. And so, um, to see him be in that state, but then also on the weekends, put myself and my brother, my younger brother in a car and then take us to neighborhoods where there were for sale signs and him pointing out the types of homes that he was going to move us into and that he was going to get us out of this life and out of that area and, um, you know, move out of an apartment, but just, just the juxtaposition of knowing that at the same time, he doesn't know how he's making ends meet, but then at the same time, he's thinking about like the future and how he's still going to be able to provide some kind of outcome for everybody. He was a big and dreamer. So, yeah. He was a big dreamer. And so, um, being able to go through that and be able to see that, was just powerful as a kid and just impressionable as a kid. And I think that really laid the groundwork for a lot of what I now see as resiliency and the ability to just continue to see opportunity and, and live more abundantly than, than, in, than in scarcity. But Mario, that could have went the opposite way, right? Because now you, you, know, you saw your dad working for a dream and the dream didn't work out. It could have actually went the opposite way where, where you're just turned off from entrepreneurship altogether. Right. So went, true. <laughs> right. And so wow, you decided, I never thought about that. Like I'm never doing that. Like oh, there's <laughs> no way I'm just going to get me a job and sit still and be happy with my job. Dad, you did life all wrong, man. I ain't doing that. <laughs> but that's, that's what true. I mean. So yeah. like for you, I know that you, you talk about, there was a point where you kind of um, were struggling and, and, and broke and all that kind of stuff. Talk a little bit about that and your mindset around that being in that place. And then you, now you having the same mindset as your dad and keep and continuing to fight and move forward. And, and Danny, that was like the crazy part. Like the crazy part was when I found myself being in a, in the exact same position as my dad. And then I was like, damn, did I let my family down? Am I, am I repeating the generation, is there a generational curse? Like, am I going to break through? So, so any of you that are like the first ones in your generation to kind of break through, I don't care if that's college education or, you know, breaking through a new income level or, or getting out of poverty, whatever it may be. Like I, I, I respect and feel that. Cause I know what that's like. Cause I'm like, man, I mean, bro, 
I mean, you know, my wife and I were in business together pursuing this dream. And we launched the company in 2007, not knowing that 2008 was right around the corner. And of course, in 2007, everything was gravy. And we had a $286,000 contract that was going to be with um, AOL. And they were happy with the pre-work that we have been doing. So all signs were like, this was happening. But then the guy that had that worked out the deal with us didn't have the guts to call me for th- three or four days before we're actually in the car driving to what is a signing meeting. They do these bonus signing meetings uh, where it was kind of celebration. Anything over 250,000, they would do these celebration meetings. We're on our way in the car, 95 South, driving from Baltimore to Dallas, Virginia, where AOL is, to their headquarters. And we get the phone call in the car. And I'm like, hey, David, what's up, man? And I'm all excited. Like, yeah, we're on our way. You know, we'll be there in a minute. And he's like, I... I couldn't tell you. And I'm like, what? He's like, I couldn't tell you. The deal's not going through because the CEO that just came on board a few a week ago put a hold on all the contracts. And he's like, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. And I I there's no way I could like see you here. It's like, huh? He waited till you were in the car on the way to tell you this. And and it's not at that point. I'm not even mad at him for that. It wasn't like, man, you could have saved me a road trip. It, it wasn't even like it was like, wait, what? Like, no, dude, we hired a lawyer. We got an LLC papers. I got a five year old son. Uh, my I asked my wife to leave her full time job of making six figures to come and run this company. That she's kind of like, are you sure? I'm from the Caribbean. I like to have some balance. You crazy stateside people like to go go go. I don't know about this. I'm a Libra. She's a Libra. She likes balance. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Sagittarius. I'm a part horse and got a bow and arrow. Like I'm all about it. And so, <laughs> right. she, you know what I mean? So like this yin yang thing. And it's like, wait, no, you don't understand what I just, are you kidding me right now, bro? And so the jaws drop, you pull over on the side of the road, you're sitting there in complete shock and you turn to your business partner, which is also my wife. And I'm telling her that this isn't happening. And that we need to turn around and go back home. Literally, three months after that, president's on TV talking about this housing crisis. And so, now we can't get jobs if we wanted them. Because everybody was in freeze mode because everybody was scared because the stock market was plummeting. Everything was going down. I mean, come on, man. People were like literally killing themselves because they couldn't deal with the pressure of what was actually happening. Yeah. And... um. We ran through the 401k. And then after that, we ran through all the personal savings, which was a year's worth of income. Because now we're into 2009, still nothing happened, still nothing happening. And now we're in, now we're using credit cards as to fund, to fund living expenses. Like when you're using credit cards to buy groceries, come on, man. That's tough. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, and you know, and I know some people have been, had been put out of their homes. They've had to sleep in cars and I know everybody else's low has got a different kind of low, but when you have two six figure earners with a five-year-old son and you did everything you were supposed to do and you did everything by the book and you had everything saved right. And then you launch and you launch correctly. And you had a deal that was signed on your end that was sitting over on their desk to be signed. Like there couldn't have been anything else more right about the situation to be put into that scenario really was the hardest thing. I mean, it challenged our marriage 
it's it, not just because of the money. It just challenged us because what do you do? Like, bro, you can't even get a job. <laughs> That's difficult. So you're trying to file for like unemployment. You're like unemployment. Like we just launched a company. Like, so it, it, it's a, it was such a brain, you know, <laughs> conundrum, man. And I just remember sitting in, in a parking lot crying by myself because I thought I let my family down because I was the one that came up with this genius idea that we can make this dream happen. And so as a black man and as a father and as a husband, I felt like, holy crap, is this what my dad was feeling like? Really hope that you're enjoying this episode of the Grind and Gratitude show. I just wanted to take a minute to ask you a question. Do you have some big goals that you just need to get done? Do you have some goals that you've been working on for years and years and you just can't manage to get them done? Well, let me help you. I have a brand new system that I'm rolling out called the Get It Done System. I've been using this system with people for years to help them crush their goals faster than they ever thought possible and increase their productivity. If you're interested, go to IamDannyStone.com slash get it done. Mm. Am I going to be able to dig out of this? And my dad was able to dig out of his bankruptcy and he was able to get that house and he was able to show me that he, that he could do it. And that, and that is also what still fueled me. But at that moment, I was like, you couldn't see that at that moment. Hell no. So that's when it all got really, really real. And I just feel like, you know, when you're, when you're taking coins to go to the coin star machine in the grocery store to try to get some dollars so you can put that in gas money, when your mother-in-law is paying for your groceries, when your godmother is paying for your, your train, I'm on the today. At this point, dude, I'm going to New York. Like, I'm getting booked. I'm, on, I'm flat broke, no money, and I'm on the Today Show, son. <laughs> That's incredible. How crazy. How, what's the, the juxtaposition of, oh, Mario's made it. He's on the Today Show. Look at that Baltimore boy go. No, nah, man, my godmother paid for my daggone train ticket. Today show luckily put me up in a hotel that night and I'm doing my segment and I still, yeah, I still got these clothes. So I'm good on that. I'm going to re, re, you know, rework these clothes, borrow my brothers, do whatever I got to do to still look good. And then I'm going to go on air, but y'all don't know, like I got to barely enough to get this hot dog. And then I got to get on this train to get back home. So did, at that point, did you feel like an imposter? Like was there, uh, did imposter syndrome come through to you? Hell you like- no. That's crazy. That's a really great question. And my answer is hell no. And I'm so, I really want people to try to break through in this. And I'm not trying to say that it's easy, but the reason why I didn't is because I actually believed I'm supposed to be there. And whenever you're in it, I know that my bank account didn't reflect my value. I I get that. I, I know that my status didn't reflect what I thought my value was at that time. I get that. But you have to come to a realization that if you're being put in a position that you don't even feel that you're supposed to be in, that you were put in that position for you to feel that way so that you would rise to the occasion. Thanks so much. That is so powerful. I love it. I, I was put it. in that position and I was, I, there was no way in the world I could say, man, I don't think I'm ready for this. Man, I hope they don't find out I'm flat broke. Man, I don't, I couldn't have time. I was like, I've been waiting for this. Took y'all long enough to hit me up. This is what's going to change it for me. Let me go up here and show and let me do the best that I can do with what I can. And from that, I tell you, man, the minute that segment ended, and let me tell you how it happened. When they call you up to try you out for things like the Today Show, we're talking five, six million viewers. So when they're trying you out, they're not just going to 
just going to give that shot to anybody because you could screw up. It's live television. And it's a huge audience. <laughs> huge audience. And it's live TV. And this is this, the, you know, they're playing for big money. They're going up against Good Morning America. They're going up against CBS Early Show. Like they got to have really great segments that the advertisers love, that the people love and the viewers want to watch. So they gave they did a, a, a segment that's called a whip. And a whip is a three minute segment. Three, three and a half. But it is one segment on that has three guests. So I don't get the full three minutes. You get I one get minute? like a minute and 15 seconds. The next person gets like a minute, 15 and the next person. So what happens is like Matt Lauer would be with one person and they'd be down on studio one, they down in a bottle. I was upstairs in the second studio with Al Roker. And then the third person was probably out on the plaza with something. And it would all be around say like father's day. And so like my thing would be like tech. And then like the woman's thing might be like, you know, suits and ties and, and clothing. And somebody else might be like great experiences and restaurants or whatever, or how to cook for Father's Day. Like it would be these three different experiences, but they would call it a whip so that you would get like all this information in one segment. But really what it also was, was for them to test out new talent. Because if you screw up in a minute and 15 seconds, that's okay. They got two other people. It's not going to kill the whole segment. I this minute and 15 but two producers come backstage as soon as I was done. And they literally, the, the one running the thing and then the other one below, what else do you have? What else you got? Oh, wow. And I was, I didn't even know how to answer the question. I didn't even know what they meant. I, I, dude, I'm in New York City. I'm on the second floor. I'm sitting, standing beside Al Roker. I do this segment. Everybody's like smiling after the segment and, and coming up to me. And I just, I don't even know what just happened. I'm, my phone is blowing up with text messages from people back home in Baltimore hitting me up like, oh my God, saw you on a Today Show. You killed it. Like, I don't even know what's going on. Cloud nine. And I was flat broke. <laughs> <laughs> that's your mission. Flat that's broke. the point. That's what you keep talking about. Just do it. I mean, I think that's such a, a, a powerful message for people you're never going to be fully ready to do anything. You just never. have to do it. Danny, you just have it. to do it. Say that, say that one more time, Danny. That's it. You're never fully ready to do anything. You just have to do it. And I think it's people have to understand that. We that. In our heads. We, we, we write these stories in our heads. Mario, you know, I think one of the, the things that you, you touched on, and, and I don't really hear... A lot of, well, I shouldn't say that, but one of the things that I heard you touch on is, is, is your wife, CEO, Nicole, yeah. and, and how that was a difficult time and, and how you guys made it through. But w- like, what part does she play in, in, in all of this in terms of like supporting you over the years and supporting your dream? And I mean, she gave up her job. Like, like what was that support like knowing that you had, I know it was a roller coaster, but the support right. from your wife. So I think it's critical that, um, the way that I did it, I did not realize how I did it was, was a formula that other people could learn from. So this is a really insightful question that you're asking, because I, uh, unlike in most situations where maybe you have the vision and then you ask somebody else to support that vision, I asked her to be a full on partner in the vision. And that's a different mindset and a different ask. So what that also requires of me is to remove my ego and make room for for her. And so what that then means is, how do you come together to create a shared vision? And so really the reason why, it wasn't that she really supported my vision, 
because truth be told, I think she had more of the vision of what she, she saw me as the, and this isn't like me trying to be Oprah. It was just like what the barometer was for at the time. She saw me as the Oprah replacement for a younger generation. Mm-hmm. That's what she saw me as someone that could communicate, that could connect, that could, that could relate. That would be accessible. That would be inspiring. That would have deep conversations with really good people, but that would be rooted in kindness and trying to help people grow and, and blossom. And she saw that in me as as somebody that could be that powerful on TV uh, in that space. I had to. I, I believed it, but I also had to come on board with the fact that she saw it so big. I believed I could be good on TV, but I didn't believe I could be like maybe that big. So what we had to do is come to a shared vision. So we talked about what the vision is. We talked about what we see for for both of us and how we see this thing going. And I think that's why the support was so strong because it wasn't her supporting me trying to make this thing work. It was us supporting us trying to make this thing work. And so for many of you that don't have that support, you might want to double back and really rethink about how your, I call them, I call your family stockholders. Like if you're a public corporation, they are definitely your stockholders because you got to answer to them. And if you can involve them in the process, you'll be amazed at how much support you can get. So we started vision boarding. My son would be involved in the vision board. Great. He would be cutting out stuff, putting it up on the vision board. So he, so now he understood what mommy and daddy were trying to do and, 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 what the, and what the sacrifices and some of the commitments and some of the things that were being made. And it just made the whole family unit really understand what the bigger picture was and if we can do that for one vision, we can do that for his vision. We can do that for her vision. We can do that for anybody if we can do it as a unit. So I think that was the biggest thing of really, we supported each other and we had a mantra um, <clears throat> or a little a model that I think would be very good for everybody else. If you're in business with a, your significant other or a good partner, then when one is down, the other one has to be up. We never, and this was tough, man. We never both could be down at the same time. So even if we both woke up feeling down, one of us had to actually choose. Wasn't like your down is, is I, I, my down can't, you know, I'm down, you're down. Well, my down's worse than your down. Well, maybe you feel like we can't argue about whose down is worse. Like right. we had to actually just be like, look, we're both down. Who can stomach it today to really be the person that's going to be up? And be like, well, I just did it yesterday, so it's your turn. <laughs> and so the, the 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 internal work that has to happen to shut that off, to be able to turn on a completely different gear, so that you can be supportive, because somebody's got to be up while the other one is going through it. That is, and I think huge... those things really uh, really helped us be be strong and and get through. That's a huge knowledge bomb. The, the fact that you know, even though you're both going through it, that somebody has to make the decision that I'm going to be the one that's up today. That, that's, that's, you know, that takes a lot of internal conversations and work on yourself. It's, it's not something you can just, that means that both of you had to be working on yourself and your mindset individually and together. That's powerful. You get it. You, 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 this is what you do, man. You're really, really good at this. You're active listening. Your, your ability to, to, to coach and educate and, and pull the dots together and your perspective and the way you look at things is really, really powerful. I, I really, 
you know, I'm like, I'm like sad that I'm just getting to know who you are. Cause I'm like, damn, I missed out <laughs> on so much content from this guy already. <laughs> so now you, I got to like start getting like uh binged up on all the stuff, <laughs> all the stuff you've been putting out there. I got to go back and go Thank look at you, some man. stuff, man, to get, cause you're absolutely right, brother. Like it's not, and it's not an easy switch, but it's a switch that has to be done. If you really want to be able to build the resilience that you have to have. And that's the one muscle that no one really talks enough about in terms of going after your own thing. Everybody is talented. Everybody's got gifts, you know, um, but resilience is a muscle that needs to be worked. And going back to your earlier point, just putting it out there helps to build up the resilience. You can't build resilience if all you're doing is you're sitting in practice. If all you're doing is going to the gym for practice, and you need practice, but if all you're doing is going to the gym to practice because you keep practicing because you 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 don't you haven't had it perfected yet. So, coach, don't put me in the game. Don't right. put me in there yet. I need to go back. Let me go practice some more. No, 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 coach. You see some of those players out there. No, I'm not ready for them yet. No, I know I got a great jump shot. I know, but I'm working on it. Like I'm I'm still 70%. I want to get to 95 before you put me in the game, coach. Like, let me go back to practice. You never get the reps if you don't go into the game. All, the practice is supposed to emulate gameplay, but nothing can actually ever emulate gameplay. So then the question becomes, it's really easy for, for athletes to understand this because it's like, okay, practice. You try to practice as much as you can against the other against your own teammates to try to make it a simulation as close as possible to what a real game would be like. But every athlete would tell you there's nothing like the real competition. And so here's the thing. <laughs> as an entrepreneur, or as someone that has a dream and a vision, how do you get to get the reps without every single time you go out there, you're putting your whole family, your whole money, your whole idea out on the line? You're like, Mario, that's for sports athletes. Sure, I can practice my dribbling and get better over time, but there's no <laughs> risk. I don't lose paying my bills if right. I dribble the wrong way for the next three months until I learn how to dribble correctly. And so that's where the hesitancy of trying because of what the loss could be and how impactful that loss could be. And this is why making small, very small risks consistently is the way to build up the reps. And so when we do stuff, we will test before we just announce some big old launch. <laughs> but it drives me nuts how many people will actually spend their life savings into one launch or one thing because they've been practicing, 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 practicing. Now they think it's perfect. They go out and then the market conditions sucked. And so we test. So I just told you I'm doing it right now. I'm <laughs> testing what the set will look like for our own show just by doing your interview in the space where I intend to be doing this from. And this is a great. test. It looks no great. risk for me to, to mess this up. You just reschedule if, if we don't like the interview. <laughs> you no, know, Mario, I know, I know your time is, I know your time is limited, Mario, but I, you know, I want to thank you for the, for the interview, but I had a couple more questions. Do you have time for Yeah, man, we can questions? go, we can go, we can go, we can go some more. I got like 10, 15 minutes. We're good. Great. Great. Um, I, I, I want to ask you, I, I think, um, I might've mentioned something like this. You were in a, in a, in a clubhouse group for those who don't know a clubhouse. It's a, it's an app for networking and communication and so on. And I asked you in the group something about your legacy. And so for me, you know, my whole mission in life is just to be the dot on the page in somebody's story. That, that, that's it for me. 
if you were going to be the dot on mm. the page in somebody's what does that story, mean? what does that mean? Dot, what, what does that mean? So for me, it's, I just want to be a, even what does that a, mean a, to be the dot. Uh, it means for me just to be even the smallest part of, of somebody's story that um, involves them just ex- realizing something about their potential. So, mm. it, it, you know, just being a small part of them seeing something within themselves, that greatness, that potential, yeah. and them taking action to pursue it. So when I say just being a dot, I'm just happy with just being a dot on the page. That's it. Oh, okay. Got it. You know? So my question to uh, you is like, if you were going to be the dot on the page in somebody's story, what yeah. would be on that page? That's great, man. Can, can I tell you something? Um, what instantly came to mind after you started defining it for me is, and again, I don't want y'all to take this the wrong way, but, and, and maybe you'll understand when you hear me explain why I think this way. I don't want to be the dot. I want to be the forward of your book. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to be the dot. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like I want my impact to be, to be big enough that it was justifiable for me to be the forward of your book. And then, and then here's the reason why it, it, it sounds egotistical, but the reason why it's the forward of your book, because if you ever li- read anybody's forward, it's never about the person that's writing the forward. Yes. It's about the author and it's yes. about the book and it's about what you're going to get from that person, what you're going to learn, what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to feel. It's my vouching of credibility for somebody else that's doing it big or that I'm super excited about. So it, it all makes sense because I, I, I root for the underdog. I want everybody to win. So to me, it's like, yeah, I don't want to be that period. Let somebody else be the period. I want to be the forward because I want to know that I helped you in some way to contribute to your success in a way that I can actually talk about how proud I am of your success to kind of really promote you and push you and get you further out there. Not because I need the credibility. I'm already going to work on my own credibility. That ain't about that. It's about the fact that I want, if I'm going to be a dot, I want it to be the forward because I want to be that person that was like your biggest cheerleader ever. Wow. At a minimum I, on the back cover. And at a minimum, I'll take I'll take three sentences on the back cover. But I'd rather never, no one's ever answered the question like that. That's amazing. <laughs> you just got me thinking about this this thing completely different now. <laughs> I, 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 I have to reword this question. I, <laughs> if you could be the forward, because Mario said he wants to be the forward. Oh man, that's so great. <laughs> I love that, man. I love it. I love it. Um you, you you talk a lot about, and this is something good too for entrepreneurs or or people who are thinking about starting a business. You talk a lot about sponsorship, and and even from when you first landed, you, you when you first started shooting the Never Settle show, and you were you got them to sponsor the building, and talk yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit about like sponsorship and why you're so great at it, and and what people should know about sponsorship and how to get sponsors. So. The reason why it's so important, number one, is because it's an untapped revenue source for your idea, to fund your ideas. Typically, we either go into our personal savings or we take out an institutional loan from a bank or something like that. We ask family and friends that could also be crowdfunding. And then we, uh, we try to maybe go after investor money, which is VC, which is a very small, less than 2% go after VC. So it's normally your own savings. Um, or family and friends, or, or some kind of bank loan or institutional loan. And all of those things got, <laughs> all of those things have responsibilities and things attached to them. They got interest rates, you got family and friends that you can uh, make angry, and, and then you got a lot of weight and stuff that you got to carry. And 
I just really recognized that there was a fourth way to generate some income, and that was based off of sponsorships. And sponsorships, while you still have responsibilities to the sponsor, that's it. I got responsibilities to one sponsor, who, by the way, it's not actually anyone's individual money. It's the company's money. So if it doesn't work, yeah, okay, I'm so sorry. Like we tried, da 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 da, whatever, whatever. But the brand can't get all upset. It's like that's kind of part of doing business. Not everything is going to always work. So it felt like a safer space to be able to ask for money to fund the ideas. And and so now I'm actually putting together a course where to try to teach people this whole process and methodology because I believe everything that you're wanting to do could be sponsored. Like many authors right now are thinking about writing an independently published book and getting it out there. And all you need is maybe a a nice little five or 10K so that you could have a really great marketing, maybe do a little roadshow tour, maybe do some, 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 a great book design, get a good editor, like all these things that would really make your book great. And you don't, you don't need a lot of money, but I believe a, a book could be sponsored. Nobody, nobody is sponsoring books. Like how would that work, Mario? What would that look like? And so I'm trying to educate people because like sponsoring content, that's kind of easily understood. Podcasts, YouTube, social influencers, like we already know, like advertising and media and content go hand in hand. But what we don't know is how we could actually use these same brands that are trying to accomplish certain goals for uh, for their selves that we could be tapping into them for our ideas, no matter how abstract, uh, abstract these ideas may be. And so I just think that sales is the most underestimated skill that people should be uh, trying to learn. Um, everyone else, you're trying to figure out maybe how to get more followers or how to hack this and hack that. It's like, if you can't even sell your idea, it doesn't matter what you hack. Like you got to be able to sell your idea. So if you can't do it, like it's different if you refuse to do it, but if you can't do it, then you better have somebody on the team that can. Yeah. So uh, selling is important, but what brands look for is alignment. And all they're looking for is, are they, are your customers, are your readers, are your viewers, are the people that you influence, you impact, are they um, in alignment with who the brand is trying to reach? Once you can make that connection, then a lot of other connections become easy because the brands really look for either exposure to your audience or they're looking for conversion, which means they want them to actually buy something or maybe give up an email address, something that they actually do, a transaction takes place, or something called leadership authority, where they want to be associated with the type of content or the type of thing it is that you're doing. Could be your event, could be your book could be your nonprofit. They want to be associated with that thing because of how it, 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 it makes them look in, in, the, in the world and that they got some authority and leadership. Um, so that's really what they look for. And, you know, there, there are obvious ways to pitch brands with like tangible things. Like you could easily look at, like, I'll give you an example. We both talked about, we both wear wood watches, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if, I mean, here's a tangible example. I wear glasses. I have to wear glasses, but I also decided to make it my style. And, and so I, I seeked and looked for an eyewear company that I liked, but that also had affordable eyewear that I would be proud to talk about to then kick it to my viewers as well. And so what do you see on set? I haven't even mentioned them, That's right. but you see Zenny and you see multiple, multiple different colors. You see me wearing them. And so it's right. So that's a product placement right there. Tangible makes sense. It's all about vision. I need my vision to not only see clear, I want my vision to be clear for where I'm going. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. 
So tangibly, it's an obvious match. Some of my audience needs glasses. I got a discount code. Go to my favorite brand. Go get some glasses. They start at $6.95 and up. You can afford more than one pair. That's how I can have many, just like you. Where I came from was, let me get these $300 designer pair glasses that I used to buy in New York. Oh, they're $425? I'll take two, like, you know, like, you know, like balling, like, wait, what? <laughs> what? So like, this is stupid. <laughs> this is just dumb. So, so that's a tangible relationship that's got alignment with me and then alignment with my customers. But then I can also give them exposure. I can give them conversion with a discount code and they can get some leadership authority. But there's another thing that's really missing and I'll wrap on the sponsorship piece. This is important. The intangibles. So like this thing that we're doing right now, this discussion, what's the intangible emotion that you would like to have people leave with when you do your podcast and you do your show? What are some of the emotions you want people to have when they finish watching an interview of yours? Well, I want them to leave feeling inspired. I want them to leave feeling um, that it was worth their time. I want them to leave feeling energized. Mm-hmm. You know, those Perfect. are some of the things that I want. So I want those are intangibles. So you're selling, your show in part is selling positive energy, positive outcomes, personal productivity, aspiration and hope. And so, okay, well then what brands equate to that? Well, if you start looking, you know, monetarily, you can look at, well, what do people aspire to have? Oh, they like lux- They like to have maybe a Cadillac because that's an aspirational vehicle. It's luxurious, W. Maybe they aspire for a new home. Maybe they aspire for whatever. Like aspiration can be sold to brands. So there are the obvious and then there are the intangibles that you actually can sell that are important. So I think many people don't know that unless you've been exposed to it and really understand it. And, and then how do you pitch? How do you deal with rejection? How do you turn a no into a yes? Um, how do you find the people that you even need to pitch in the first place? How do you get their information? What's the research process like? Like all of that's going to be in this course because that's really what it takes in order to get you know the types of deals that we get. Like right now, I'm sitting with a multi-year sponsorship with Zenny. It's not just a three-month thing. Like this is a two-year deal that we have going on. So, and that's just one. We do Capital One, we do Wix, we do several others. That's 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 so great. I think this is something that people, I mean, we really need that because oftentimes when people see sponsorship or they hear sponsorship, it's like, okay, I need to have 500,000 followers on social media. I need to have this. I need, and, and we don't think of it in terms of just you as a personal brand who is bringing something to the table. We look at it at more as begging. So I'm so glad that you, <laughs> oh, man. That, you know, I'm glad that you said that because you're bringing something to the table. Right. And I didn't, ha- and I didn't look, I got credibility in the marketplace, but my following count isn't, I don't, I got, you know, 20 some, maybe close to 30 some thousand on Instagram. Like, and, and you might be like, oh man, well, I only got like two, 2000 followers. I only got 600. I get that. But, but the bigger point that I'm making is that there are other ways that you can leverage the aggregate of other people. So so real quick case in point, sometimes what I'll do is I know that I don't have enough weight on my own, but then I'll find two other people that I can bring into a deal. And I'm like, I'm leveraging their audience and their reach. Now we add up all three of our reach together and we present one larger number as opposed to this smaller number. 
Now, I'll also say that brands are getting savvier about understanding the power of what we call micro-influencers, which are just people that have smaller audiences because they do see that the engagement is higher when it is smaller. So stop disregarding or, or misunderstanding the value. It's not the follower count. It's the quality of the follower. So do you have a high value follower in HVF? I call them. Do you have high value followers or do you just have a bunch of people that are just following you, but don't really take any action? So and by the uh, way, you can buy followers these days as well. And so. you can buy them. <laughs> so, so, you know, <laughs> that, and, that. and, and savvy companies know when you've, when you do, they know how to do a test. They know what to look for. So all of that's why it's, it's crashing. So it'd be better for you to just have a hundred people that actually listen to you and buy from you. Out of the thousand that may be following you, only a hundred take action. A brand would like to not have those hundred people. Now, sure, you can't charge them the same amount that somebody could get a thousand people, and you can get a hundred. But that means you just have to continue up your frequency, and you'll get there. Now, that's so great. Uh, just, just a couple more questions for you, uh, Mario. So, what's next for the whole never settle movement? Because it's a movement now. Yeah. And so, so, so talk a little bit about what's next, because obviously you're coming up with a, you know, the third season, but what else are you doing around the show? And in terms of this whole movement? Yeah, the third season's coming with that. It's going to be a lot of content that we're going to be putting out in social. We're also going to be asking for Never Settle Club members. For those of you that are really a part of the, this movement and, and follow with me, we're going to be spotlighting you in the show. So that's going to be new. We're going to be doing these like mini like many moments of, um, of, of praise where, where we're going to be featuring you, your story into the show. So we're going to want to hear from people for that. Um, we're also going to be launching our virtual conference this year, which I'm excited about. That's going to be powerful. Um, we're also doing a conference on clubhouse, uh, which is really great Saturday, February 27th. If you are a content creator, specifically, if you're in the podcast space, never settle club along with, um, School's Over, Now What? And a couple of other partners are putting on a podcast conference. I'm working on the book, The Mindful Hustle. I love uh, it. So I don't know if that's going to make it for 2021 or if that's really going to be something for 2022, but it won't be later than that. I can guarantee you that. Merchandise, I'm really excited about coming out with some merch for Never Settle and the different ways that we can kind of have people wearing Never Settle and some of the positive um, inspirational line of clothing that we're looking to do. Uh, so that's exciting. And then I would say, uh, what's the one I'm missing? Oh, I'm planning a, um, although that's a little bit different. That's more of a side project with my brother. It's a different, a different book idea we're doing for DJs. I'm a former DJ. So oh, yeah, me too. Book. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we keep finding out that we just had different mothers. That's DJ all Stone is. Cold. <laughs> we were separated at birth. We were separated. <laughs> no doubt. Um, but yeah, man, really focusing on the content of the show in this new season. Um, really focusing on the types of interviews and the people that we want to get and the, and, the, and the new format that we're doing it in, which I'm really excited to show people, how we're going to highlight people in the show, the virtual event that's coming, the book, and I would say uh, the, the, the merch is probably our biggest, our biggest focal points right now. Man, when do you sleep? Marathon, Mario. <laughs> and I get it in. I get in seven <laughs> hours, bro. Like, I do not play around with sleep. It's not underrated. We, I get seven hours, definitely. Sometimes eight, but I get my sleep, bro. Yeah, I, I really need that. Two final questions that I ask everybody, Mario. What does grind mean to you? What does it mean to grind? What does that mean for you? Well, you know, it means two things at this stage of my life. If you would have asked me this 10 years ago, it would have been, it would have been all about like the hustle 
go for it, make it happen. Um, you know, I, I say this quote that goes, um, when something is important enough, do it even if all the odds are against you. So to me, that's grind. If something is important enough, do it even if all the odds are against you. My current day answer to that would be, and just do it mindfully. <laughs> like, just because the, the, the problem with grinding is that you can grind so hard, but you can tread water in the deep end and not go a damn place. So nice. how hard do you want to swim in place? You want to just tread water or are you actually trying to get to the other side? So now what I would say is grind effectively, not efficiently. Efficient just means, oh, I found out how to run on the hamster wheel faster, or I found out how to run on the hamster wheel better. That's just being efficient. You're still on the hamster wheel. <laughs> True. To be effective is to be like, I'm getting off the hamster wheel because that's crazy. And I can't be strategic when all I'm doing is chasing myself constantly, constantly, constantly. Oh, but I figured out new ways to chase myself faster and better. Yeah, but I'm still chasing myself constantly. So that's just when you're working in the business and not working on the business. Or when you're working in the idea is the hamster wheel, not working on the idea. And you need a balance of both. You got to be in it, but you also got to work on it. So I would say grind effectively so that you're working on the right things at the right time that move you forward in your grind. Mario dropping that knowledge. And, and, and the very last question is, what does gratitude mean to you? It's so easy to answer this with like the expected. It means thanks. It means to be thankful. But here's the thing. I'm going to clue y'all into a little secret that I know probably so many of y'all felt the same way. Maybe some of y'all didn't have this flawed character trait that I had. But I had this flaw that I would do these moments of gratitude, but that I wasn't being present while doing it. So why the hell was I doing it? Because I was told that if I do gratitude and be thankful, then other blessings would come. Oh, so wait, what's my real motive? I want other good blessings to come. Oh, okay. So I just got to sit down and say these things. No one really told me like, hey, by the way, you got to mean what you say and you really got to be in it and you really got to believe it and you really got to pause for it. And I was like, oh, that sounds like work. I don't know if I want to do that. I just want these outcomes. And so as you could tell, man, I like to, I love to teach through transparency. So I'm telling you exactly how my brain was thinking, exactly what I wanted. And then I had, so when you say that word, that word isn't just going to be me saying, oh man, gratitude is great, you know, to give thanks and to be alive and to blah, blah. Man, are you kidding me? I, I expect it to be alive. Don't you expect to wake up tomorrow? I expect to wake yeah. up tomorrow. Of and course. if I expect to wake up tomorrow, well, then I want to have a better day tomorrow than I did today. Like, that's what I'm shooting for. So like, oh, you know, like, let's be real. Like, blah, blah, blah. So I had to really figure out, okay, man, hold on. How do you balance all that and still be mindful enough to be present to actually give a damn that your parents are still alive, that you do still get to talk to your brother on the phone, that you do still get to see him, that you do have a family that still loves you and that you are still married happily. And that you do have, so, you know, now the prayer, when I do my gratitude in the morning as part of my morning routine and my eyes are closed, I'm actually picturing 
every, and I'm sorry for those of you that have big families. Mine ain't that big. It's big enough, but it ain't that big. But I picture every single family member that's in my family and I just see them and I just say thanks for them and to keep them safe and to keep them healthy and that they get a chance to, to, to pursue their thing and that they get, and I also do this weird thing where I actually pray for like any, any health signs, like for them to be aware of anything that could be physically wrong, that they don't ignore it so that they can possibly get in front of anything early. This actually ended up being, I think, a prayer for me when someone tried to tell me I had diabetes and I didn't believe it. But then I listened to myself, found out that some steroid that I was taking due to the, fu- to, to, to the fact that I had gout was actually increasing everything else and messing up my pancreas and all this other stuff, which is putting me almost into a diabetic coma, coma state. Are you serious? Like my sugar levels were, were at 500. They're oh, supposed to be goodness. around 100. Yeah. Wow. So... I, w- I think that prayer at that time was even just for me. But my bigger point is like to gratitude. Sorry, I went on that tangent, but maybe no, that was all right. for somebody. Okay. God just told me to say it. God just told me to deliver that for somebody. Um, but my bigger point is like I had to actually get to really meaning to be grateful. And once I did that, I felt lighter. I felt like, oh, that's the feeling people are like, okay, yeah. Like I'm a person, it's all about being bigger than me. You know, I'm, I'm parading for other people and doing all that. But, you know, you still have to watch our own ego. You still have to watch your own thing. And you still got to watch our att- attachment to outcomes. And, and I, I recognize like how that can be negative energy. And, and it's a difference in like, well, Mario, how do I pursue something if I'm not attached to it? Well, you can pursue something, but you don't need to be attached to exactly how you pursue it or exactly that outcome. And that's where the danger is. And I had to come to a, a wiser space to then understand that. And all of that's kind of helped me understand gratitude better. So now that you heard the long answer, the short answer would be gratitude means being in the present when you are actually grateful for the bare necessities and the people that are around you in your life that make whatever you're working on worth it. That to me is gratitude because getting to any level of any type of success, whatever that may be for you and doing it solo sucks. You want to be able to celebrate that with somebody. And those are the same people you should be grateful for uh, before you get to those celebratory moments that you will inevitably end up having. And therefore uh, we should be celebrating the people we have around us while we have them. Wow, <laughs> Mario, See, brother, man, that's a good one just, to end on, right? That's nah, that was that on. was that was the right one to end on. That was like I, I think I depleted everything I gave you in this interview. <laughs> I don't think I got anything left. <laughs> you gave us everything. You gave us everything, man. I just wanna, I just wanna thank you for taking time to be on the show. I just feel like you know I've been seeing you around virtually, and I just kind of resonated with you and had this connection, like. This brother's authentic. He's real about what he's saying. He's transparent about his own journeys and the challenges that he's having. And I just kind of connected with that. You know, even though the Grinding Gratitude show isn't like this massive show yet, I still want to make sure that I bring guests on that uh, are true and honest and and real. I'm not trying to, just because someone has a big name, I don't need them to sit here and have this conversation and Mm -hmm. lie to the audience, right? And so I just want to thank you, man, because I realized that about you right away. And uh, through our connection, Dr. Vibe, I said, man, I really want to get Mario on the show. And this has been like, I mean, I know, I know if you're listening right now, I know that you're jumping in your seat. I know that you're just (laughs) like, man, we need part two, three, four. And maybe it's coming. coming. 
But, that's right. That's right. But, but thanks a lot, brother. I really okay. appreciate you being on the show and, and, yeah, and, and let people know where they can find you and everything. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And, and I'm honored to be here and, and the feelings mutual, brother. I'm excited for how you interviewed me, the prep process that you went through. People, he puts in the work, he researches his people. Uh, and as you can see, it's, it, it creates great interviews and great conversations. Uh, just go to, uh, go to follow me on Instagram, at Mario Armstrong. That's one of the places where I do a lot of content for free and a lot of stuff goes on there. And we spend a lot of time talking to people and communicating in the comments, in the stories, uh, communicating back and forth. If you're on Clubhouse, get if you're not, get an iPhone, get an iPad, get on Clubhouse and follow me there. Lots of great sharing and learnings happening there. And then I would say pay attention to the YouTube channel for the new show. So go to YouTube.com and pay attention and go to a Never Settle Network and subscribe to the channel. And if all else fails and you don't remember anything I said, always go to neversettle.tv. That's our website where you can find out everything that's going on with us so you can tap in. Wow. Well, thanks so much, man. Thank you again, Mario. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And um, this has been a very, another powerful show. And uh, all you listeners out there from around the world, I think we've reached 36 countries so far. Beautiful. Thank you, thank you for tuning Let's in. Let's go. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the hey. Grind and Gratitude Show. Grind and Gratitude. Let's do it. Pass the show around. Share it. Make sure that you comment on it. Make sure that you rate it. Like, show him that you are actually getting some value. That's the only ask. Show him you're getting some value by sharing it to somebody else, by commenting on it, and by rating it. That helps his show get actually seen and heard in more places. And that's a small ask that y'all can do if you got any value out of this show or any other episode. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for being my co-host on this episode of the Grind and Gratitude Show. I really appreciate you. I hope that you learned something and you're motivated to take action and get on your grind. Didn't that go by fast? If you want more, head over to grindandgratitude.com for show notes and more information about this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating so more people will tune in. And let me say this. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it.